We know that you're used to hitting Walters before and after Nationals games, but don't forget about them while the Nats are out of town. Walters Brunch is a great reason to swing by Navy Yard with the purchase of an entree. You can now add bottomless Bud Light, Truly, Bloody Marys, and Mimosas for only $20. Reservations can be made at opentable.com. Sunday brunch tastes all the sweeter after a Nats victory, and that's what you're going to get if you go to Walters today before the one o'clock game. Then you can watch Nats go for a attempted series victory in New York. Hang around, watch the game, stick around afterwards. There's no place better to be before, during, or after a game than Walters. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And the pitch swung on. Ground ball through the hole. Base hit right field. Rounding third. Castro coming home. Here's Conforto's throw to the plate. It's not in time. Castro goes head first across the dish. And the Nationals lead two to nothing. Avila to third on the play on a base hit and RBI for Joe Ross. His third hit of the year and first run batted in. And welcome to Nat Chat for Sunday, April 25th, 2021, along with Nat's insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. The Nats entered Saturday as the only team in Major League Baseball to have not scored at least seven runs in any game so far this year. That factoid no longer true. Nats get to eight and ten on the season. An easy breezy, feel good 7-1 victory at the New York Mets on Saturday. Terrific bounce back outing for Joe Ross. A new look lineup from Davey Martinez gets to Marcus Stroman early. And the Nationals, for one of the few times this season, Mark, have a relatively stress-free win. If you could have drawn up before this game, Al, a blueprint for how you would hope this game would go, I think this is exactly what you would have said, especially given the lineup that they were putting out there. And they scored in each of the first five innings. They gave Joe Ross a lead. He returned to form. And like you said, a very rare but much needed comfortable victory for them where Davey didn't have to do a lot of sweating in the dugout. And that was nice. No, he did not. And I tell you what, Davey looks like a genius with that new look lineup that he put out there. Baseball is so wacky with the way it can play out. Here you have Davey shuffling things up on Saturday to the tune of Josh Harrison as a leadoff batter. Okay, I mean, that's not that outlandish. Josh has had a good season so far. But Yadiel Hernandez is the number two batter. Andrew Stevenson stays in the lineup, but he's a number eight batter. Victor Robles is on the bench. The Nats continue not to hit for power. Ten hits, all singles, but they drive a guy in Marcus Stroman, who'd been so good this season, out of the game after just four innings, hit him to the tune of five runs, four earned. Nats also draw five walks, get another hit by pitch. 
And the new look lineup ends up working. Lots of balls in play. I mean, maybe it wasn't exactly what Davey wanted, but it certainly was good enough for the win. I think it was actually pretty close to what he wanted, to be honest. First of all, he started his uh, pregame Zoom with us stressing the need to get out to an early lead. And he thought that would make just a big psychological difference for them to not be playing from behind, both from an offensive standpoint and to give Joe Ross a little bit of a breathing room. And so he wasn't too worried right off the bat. So I think there was that. But I think, you know, he talked about the lineup decisions today being about wanting to have as many lefties in there as possible against Stroman. The thing is, if you look at Stroman's numbers, both this year and in his career, there is not a big difference in his splits, righty lefty. It's almost identical. So I don't know if it was that or if it was more a case of putting guys in there for this game who are good at making contact and giving you a professional at bat and maybe not worrying about the power for at least this one game. They're not hitting home runs. They're not hitting doubles. They needed to put together quality at bats and try to sustain rallies. And Hernandez is a good bat to ball guy. Stevenson, we know, gives you good at bats. And I wonder, Harrison, obviously at the top of the lineup, it doesn't strike out hardly ever. And I wonder if that had more to do with it than anything, because what they wound up doing, their first 26 batters who came up to the plate, 15 of them reached base, all on singles, walks, and one hit by pitch. And maybe this isn't really baseball circa 2021, might be more 1985, but given their personnel right now, this might be the way they have to do it. And they really excelled at it in this game. There's no doubt. There is sort of a larger conversation of it is disturbing, the lack of power here. The Nationals, through 18 games on the season, are one of the worst teams in baseball when it comes to hitting for power. The team is slugging 364 on the year. I mean, it's going to be hard to win if that continues. Obviously, you're minus Juan Soto, so that's a huge part of all of this. But the Nats, like I said, 10 hits, all singles. The Nationals have not hit a home run since this past Tuesday night, that Josh Bell solo homer off Adam Wainwright in the bottom of the six of the 3-2 win over St. Louis at Nationals Park. That's the last home run that the Nats hit. It's not just that, like we've been saying, it's not like the Nats are racking up, you know, doubles or anything like that, but they do score seven runs. And that's not something that had happened up until this point on the season. And it got going from the get-go, like you referenced. I mean, Josh Harrison beginning the game as he does with that uh, that leadoff single on which he advances to third on the fielding error by Michael Conforto. Such terrific hustle by Harrison on that play. The Nats end up getting the run in that first inning. But we saw that time and again where just kind of putting the ball in play. You know, the Mets did not field all that well, I thought, on Saturday. You just kind of put things out there. When you don't strike out 15 times, you're not facing Jacob DeGrom. It's funny how things like that can play out. But Harrison had that big at-bat to begin things. Yadiel Hernandez, who, you know, most people tell you is not your classic number two batter. He ends up doing a nice job at the plate. Your guy, Alex Avila, had another good game at the plate from a standpoint of getting on base three times, you know, so that continued to be. And for at least a game, it was kind of like one of those things where Davey pushed the right buttons and it ended up working. So you referred to Yadiel Hernandez as not really your classic number two hitter. I'm actually going to make a case for him here. Now, I know he doesn't have the track record at the big league level to do it. But this guy has hit everywhere he's ever been in his life, starting in Cuba and then moving up through the minor leagues. I mean, he's 33 years old and he still counts as a rookie because he didn't have enough service time last year. But you can see he puts together quality at bats and his approach, his mindset is always go the other way first. And then if he gets a pitch that he can drive to pull it, he'll do that. But he looks to go the other way. Josh Harrison said he was really impressed with his at bat in that first inning. He's standing on third base. Hernandez just needs to get the ball in the air, try to score the run. And he took an outside pitch and drove it to left field for the sacrifice fly. That's his mindset. And I don't know if in the long run it would work at the big league level. And I mean, again, he's 33 years old and I don't know that there's 
a whole long career still ahead of him. But I do think he has some of the skills that you would look for in a top of the order hitter. And certainly with what they're working with right now, without Soto and with Bell and Schwarber really struggling, Davey's got to find some other ways to do it. And so even though you kind of raised your eyebrow when you first saw the lineup when it came out in the morning, at the end of the night, you say, "Okay, I, I can see some logic there and I can see why that maybe made some sense, at least for this game. Yeah, I mean, you know, number two batter traditionally is your best hitter. The Mets bat Francisco Lindor second. That's batted Yadiel <laughs> Hernandez second. But it worked. It worked. For a game, it worked. Like, you can't say anything other than that. Even old Schwarby had a couple of hits on Saturday, so it was nice to see that. Do you think Davey sticks with this lineup on Sunday, or do you think we go back to more what we saw on Friday on Sunday? So, I mean, we talked a few days ago about the superstition of managers, and when something works, you don't want to tinker with it and, you know, test the baseball gods. The one thing I, he keeps saying he wants to get Ryan Zimmerman in a game, and he still hasn't. He he was, I think, on deck at one point, and then the inning ended, and then when the next inning came around, he wound up using Robles to lead off as the pinch hitter. Zimmerman has not played all week. I do think maybe on Sunday we see him in place of Bell to give him the day off. But otherwise, I think most of it would say the same. Gomes will catch instead of Avila. But yeah, I would not be surprised if we see at least Harrison leading off again and maybe Yadiel gets another game. Maybe Robles starts in center and Stevenson gets a day off, but Yadiel put together three quality at-bats in the first four innings of this game. He tore the cover off the ball all spring. You know, until he shows that he can't handle it, maybe you do keep riding this and, and see what you get from him. Yeah, Josh Bell does continue to scuffle. Uh, 0 for 4 with a walk and two strikeouts on Saturday. He's still in that cleanup spot. Davey has given Josh Bell a chance here. I mean, you can't say otherwise. And Bell's batting average down to 132. The OPS is at 490. He is just in a rough, rough way. And I brought this up on the previous installment of the podcast. Like you said, Zimmerman was on deck, but it feels like he maybe is dealing with something that we're just not aware of. It is awfully bizarre how little Zimmerman has played this week. I mean, that's not the way this was supposed to be, especially with Bell struggling. Why wouldn't Davey have given Zimmerman any play appearances in these recent games? It's very strange to me. Yeah, I thought so too. And I actually asked Davey before Friday's game. We didn't talk about this, but I asked him, is everything okay with Zim? Because we haven't seen him all week. And he laughed and said, yeah, he's actually feeling great. So much so that a couple of times now, During BP, he's gone out to shortstop and fielded grounders and gone out to the outfield to take fungos. And I said, well, what's up with that? And Davey said, no, 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 he's he's not going to play those anytime soon. But he just feels so good that he wants to get out there and move around a little bit. So I think it's fine. I think it's situational. I think it's a combination of Davey understanding that Josh Bell is going to have to be an integral part of this lineup. I mean, this team was built for this season with Josh Bell as their cleanup hitter. And they're going to have to get him going, as tough as that is. Now, I still think you're going to need to find some games for Zim. They haven't faced a lefty starter in a while, so that's part of it. The thing I've been more surprised at is that he hasn't used him for defense late in games. And Davey talked about that too, and he said that, yeah, he sort of in- has intended to do that, but he also wants to show some confidence in Bell defensively and not make him think that uh, you know he's always having to look over his shoulder, that he doesn't you know have faith in him defensively. And he also said he doesn't like the idea of taking Bell's bat out of the lineup late in the game when maybe they're still going to need it. Now, at 132, I don't know how big a bat that is. And I think Ryan Zimmerman's bat would suffice just fine. So let's see. Have a feeling Zimmerman will start Sunday. And remember, they're playing the Blue Jays Tuesday and Wednesday. So I'm guessing both guys will be in the lineup with a DH. Yeah, it was a funny game to watch offensively. Nats score seven runs, the seven-run score over seven plate appearances. So not a single run-producing plate appearance produced more than one run. And the Nats scored on a Yadiel Hernandez sacrifice fly, a Joe Ross 
RBI single, a bases loaded hit by pitch drawn by Alex Avila, a force out off the bat of Andrew Stevenson that scored a run. I mean, (laughs) this was the classic, you know, manufacture runs kind of output by the lineup. You talk about getting every last drippity drop possible out of every plate appearance. I mean, that's what the Nats ended up doing in this game. It's it's really funny when you look at it and kind of the details of how the Nats did the seven runs for the first time this season, all on singles and, and all in these like, you know, nickel and dime death by a thousand paper cuts type fashion. And they did it against Marcus Stroman, who I know he's not Jacob deGrom, but he came into this start having dominated so far, 3-0 and in an 0-9-0 ERA. And boy, he looked really off. He was not happy with the strike zone, and at times rightfully so, but it seemed like that actually got to him, and he didn't handle that real well. And I thought the Nats took good advantage of that, of Stroman being a little off kilter and, and not maybe focused as what, much as he should have on the hitters. But, you know, if it's not working one way, you got to try something different. And to their credit, they kind of tried something different in this game. They weren't swinging for the fences. You said, you know, they haven't hit a home run since Tuesday or whatever it is. It's not like they're even hitting balls to the warning track that are caught. It's not like they're hitting long flyouts. No, they're just putting the bat on the ball. And, you know, in a case like this, it worked. I don't know in the long run. They're going to need power, of course, from Turner and Bell and Schwarber in the long run. But for now, try it this way and maybe ultimately... They have that perfect blend of both. Think about when they won the World Series in 19. Yeah, they had power hitters, but their calling card was two out hits, grinding out long at bats, you know, runners in scoring position, all that kind of stuff. That's who they want to be. And so if you can combine that, which they're now showing some signs of life with, with ultimately when the power does show up, you you may have the makings of something here. Hey everyone, Tim Shervers here to tell you about Sunday Scaries CBD. You know, we're getting to the point where prioritizing mental health is becoming less stigmatized. People are finally starting to talk about strategies to stay centered and calm in their everyday life. That's why I'm really excited to tell you about Sunday Scaries. Sunday Scaries are specially formulated CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that taste absolutely delicious and are easy to take on the go. I got my care package this weekend, popped one in after a late night of working on Friday night, and it helped me go to bed. No problem, so I woke up refreshed on Saturday morning. Sunday Scary CBD Gummies help you live life scare-free by promoting a sense of calm, quieting your mind, and just helping you to chill out and relax. I can personally attest to this. In fact, Sunday Scary CBD Gummies and CBD Oil have won glowing coverage in publications like Men's Health, Forbes, Allure, and Best Products. Today, you can get 25% off your first order with the code NATSCHAT at sundayscaries.com. That's 25% off your first order at sundayscaries.com. Enter code NATSCHAT where it asks for a coupon on the checkout page. Ready to chill out and get some much-needed peace of mind? Head to sundayscaries.com right now to get 25%, yes, 25% off some sweet, sweet CBD gummies. Are you interested in buying or selling your home? Support for NATSCHAT comes from Rachel Levy of Compass Real Estate. By focusing on the personal parts of the real estate process and using technology to simplify the rest, Rachel seamlessly guides her clients through their experience. Rachel uses her deep local knowledge and exceptional customer service to advocate for her clients all across D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. To learn more, follow her on Instagram at Real Estate Rachel. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Ross just threw his 90th pitch, and he deals the 3-2. Swinging a fly ball deep to right, sending Hernandez back to the warning track, squaring up on it near the fence. He makes the catch. A step from the wall. So you had the offense busting out in a very unusual fashion on Saturday. And you also had a really good bounce back outing from Joe Ross. Joe Ross ends up being very good for a third time in four starts this season. It was in the third start, of course, that things weren't so good. Ten runs all earned in four into third innings in a 12-5 loss to the Cardinals at Nationals Park this past Monday night. But Ross, like we said, very good over his first two starts. And Ross in this 7-1 win at the Mets on Saturday. One run in six innings, four strikeouts versus five hits, four of which were singles, did give up a homer, gave up a walk, and gave up a hit by pitch. And Joe Ross added again as a batter, a two-out first pitch RBI single in the top of the second. But great to see him, you know, just give up the one run. Great to see him go six innings. And great to see him make that previous outing look like the aberration as opposed to, well, you know, if he has a second consecutive bat start, you're like, well, where are we exactly with Joe Ross? Like, no, here we are now. Three of the four starts have been really good. He's been a real bright spot for the Nats overall. Yeah, I think we can say now that that last start was the anomaly, at least to this point. And no, he's not going to be perfect every time out, but I don't think we're going to have to worry about him giving up 10 runs on any kind of regular basis. So he said the fact that he did have the two really good starts to begin the year, that helped him mentally kind of flush that bad one down the toilet and not stress over it too much. And he knew it was only one start. He said if it had been two or three in a row, then maybe the doubts start creeping in. But he felt pretty good about himself coming into this. It helps when you can take the mound with a one nothing lead. <laughs> that helps ease it up. And he got out of a jam in the first inning, actually. Two on, runners on the corners and two outs. And Conforto hit a ball hard, but right at Hernandez in right field. So now you kind of breathe a sigh of relief. You got through the first inning. And I thought he settled in really nicely after that. The sinker was working. The slider was working. He was mostly keeping the ball down in the zone. 
which is what he needs to do. And he actually got to a point, you know, six innings, 91 pitches, where I thought maybe you push it a little bit. Davey said he didn't want to do that. Not yet. He's still thinking big picture with the guy who did not pitch last year at all. They want to make sure they have him for the full season, especially when Strasburg is hurt and Lester's still coming back and who knows what else they're going to have to deal with. But to me, it's really hard not to just look at this in the big picture and not be tremendously encouraged by what Joe Ross has done and to see how this could sustain itself every fifth day as they move forward. Yeah, I mean, Ross's first two starts, he was excellent in a one nothing loss at the Dodgers on April 9th. Remember, pitching for the first time in two years, essentially, because he opted out of last season, and he ends up giving you five scoreless innings. Start number two, a 6 nothing win at St. Louis on April 14th, six scoreless innings. And then he does as he did on Saturday, the one run in the six innings. Uh, really good stuff. Perfect bottom of the third. Strikes out both Brandon Nimmo and Francisco Lindor for the second and third outs, respectively. I mean, arguably the Mets' top two batters, and you know you, you send them both down in an inning like that. You mentioned he got some trouble in the bottom of the first. Bottom of the fourth, he did give up the lone run. He allowed the two-out solo homer. Gave it up to Michael Conforto, who he did have down at 1.02. Then actually gave up back-to-back two-out singles to J.D. Davis and Jack McNeil, but got James McCann on a pop-out for the third out. So, you know, he was not dominant or anything like that, but he was able to work himself out of jams. And, you know, here we are again, and it's a funny thing that we say, but it's true. Where would the Nats be this year without Joe Ross and Derek Fetty? Given what's happened with Steven Strasburg, Patrick Corbin's initial struggles, hopefully he's out of it. We'll see him on Sunday. You know, still no John Lester that the Nats have gotten this out of Ross. I mean, you could argue it's been the, the single most pleasant surprise of the season and certainly hope that it continues. Do you think Ross, in a later spot in the season, he would be allowed to go seven innings? Because it feels like Ross, for the most part, he's been like a five, six inning guy. Do you, do you think Davey sees Ross as potentially being someone who could go seven, maybe even eight innings in a start? I think he'd like him to get there, yeah. But I think he doesn't want to push it. Davey doesn't want to push it right now, knowing the history. Joe also has had his injuries. He had Tommy John surgery and don't know the last time that he actually pitched a full healthy season at all. So they're going to monitor it closely, especially probably the first couple months of the season. But if if he keeps doing this, he's going to earn the right to go beyond that and to top 100 pitches. And that is going to be an important next step for him. Just like with Fetty, Fetty kind of needs to show he can get through the fifth. Joe is now showing he can get through the sixth. So maybe it's time to find out, can he get through the seventh and make it through a lineup three times in total? So There's a lot of time for that to work itself out. You know, as long as the bullpen is fresh on any given day, I don't think they're going to feel the need to press that issue. But in the long run, yeah, I think they would like for him to show that he can be a consistent 100 pitch, uh, an outing starter. And if he can, then all of a sudden there's some more leeway with the other guys. And now it's not the end of the world if John Lester isn't great this year or if Strasburg misses some time or if Corbin is not, you know, back to his top form. So, I mean, that's, to me, Joe Ross is almost like a little bit of a luxury. You know, you were hoping he'd just be a reliable fifth starter for you. If he can be more than that, it just opens the door for a lot of other things. And the margin for error, as we've been talking about for so long, the margin for error grows. And you're not as worried about if somebody else is struggling because you now have a reliable extra option. Yeah. And, you know, with Ross, like we've said, he was good initially in his career, 2015, 2016. I didn't know. I don't know how the Nats could have known if we were ever going to see that Joe Ross again because of the injuries, because of the ineffectiveness, you know, him kind of being toggled between starter and reliever, spending so much of the 2019 season in the minors. It was like maybe what we saw in 15 and 16 was never to be seen again, but perhaps we're seeing that again here in 2021, which, like we keep saying, would be such a bright spot for the Nats this year. 
Hey guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. I'm so excited that baseball is back. There's nothing like watching a game with great weather, a cold drink, and a little action on FanDuel Sportsbook. If you've never bet on baseball before, now is the perfect time to give that a shot. FanDuel is letting new users swing for the fences risk-free. You'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. And once you have an account, you can get up to $25 back each day if your same-game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win all season long. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. They've got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Reminder, if you live in Virginia, you have access to the sportsbook. You can wager on any game, including Brandon Woodruff and the Brewers against Jake Arrieta and the Cubs on Sunday afternoon. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code CHAT. 21 plus and present Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 109 with it, Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 100 Gambler, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia, Tennessee. 1-800-889-9789 or in West Virginia. Visit www.1800gambler.net. Support for Nats Chat comes from Manscaped, which has the best men's grooming tools to get the job done. Fellas, listen up. Manscaped is here to ensure your post-quarantine body is ready for whatever the world throws at it. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Join the movement for all of your male grooming needs. I just got mine in the mail the other day, and I'm excited to finally use this. This is the best trimmer on the market for those of you in need of a chest shave. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to to advanced skin safe technology pioneered by Manscaped. You can also adjust settings to get a length that you like, and you can stay on top of it with almost no effort at all. For a limited time, subscribers get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value add, and the patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped Boxers. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code WASHINGTON at manscaped.com. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code WASHINGTON at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code WASHINGTON. Because it ends up being a 7-1 win, Davey, easy breezy, doesn't have to lean on the A-team with the bullpen. No Tanner Rainey, no Daniel Hudson, no Brad Hand. Davey goes Kyle Finnegan for a scoreless bottom of the seventh. Sam Clay, a scoreless bottom of the eighth. And Paolo Espino. We had a Paolo Espino sighting in the ninth inning, and he ends up tossing a perfect bottom of the ninth. It's his first appearance since that emergency start for Steven Strasburg last Sunday afternoon, April 18th. So Paolo Espino ends up playing. <laughs> Espino and Ryan Zimmerman, we're all kind of taking bets on who's going to play in a game next for the Nats first. It ends up being Paolo Espino. So if you had him, you win. But nice to see Paolo and nice to see again, you know, with not a lot to worry about from a, a run differential standpoint of the game. You can go to these guys, let them get some work and you know, come away with a nice six-run victory. If Paolo Espino can be the pitcher at the center of the handshake line at the end of a game, then you've had a good day yeah. <laughs> as a team. So that was nice to see. You know, we also still have not seen Steven Fuentes, who was called up several days ago to make his Major League debut. I think Davey's been trying to look for the right spot for him that, you know, maybe not quite as high of a leverage situation. Their bullpen construction is really weird right now. They have nine relievers. 
because they're only going with four starters. And three of them are traditionally at least starters. It's Espino, Fuentes, who is a starter in the minors, and Austin Voth, who's been a starter his whole life and now is sort of converting into a, a maybe a shorter reliever. It's an odd alignment, and I don't know how long they go with that, but for now, they've got plenty of options down there, and maybe it helps take some pressure off and some stress off a, a few of the other guys. And they used, remember, Rainey Hudson and Hand to win those last two games against the Cardinals. Well, in the first two games of this series, they haven't had to use them at all. There was an off day Thursday, so everybody is good to go on Sunday with another off day on Monday. So boy, if Corbin can maybe give them six innings and put them in a good position, then you can go seven, eight, nine the way Davey wants to. And, and that may help them uh, you know, have a chance to win the series. So everyone knows that the Nats won the World Series in 2019. They were the oldest team in baseball. I'm not sure if that's still true or not, but they do certainly feel like one of the older teams still. And I think what perfectly captures that is two guys who the Nats have called up this season are Yadiel Hernandez in his age 33 season and Paolo Espino in his age 34 season. Only the Nats would summon two guys well into their 30s from the minors to help them out early in a season. With Espino, you think he might be on the roster moving forward? Do you think once Lester comes back, Espino's the guy who goes down? Like, what do you think they're thinking with old Paolo? It's <laughs> a good question. Uh, I mentioned Fuentes also. One of them is going to go, but the other one's going to stay for you know when Lester comes up. So one of them may survive and maybe it makes more sense. I mean, Fuentes is an actual prospect and they view him as a starter. So I think you'd rather have him pitching every fifth day in Fredericksburg. And ultimately, we're, we're actually getting close to the AAA season and double A season starting. So, you know, they would love to get that going and get him pitching there every fifth day. So maybe Espino does stick around for that reason, probably until they get Suero, Will Harris, some of these other relievers who were supposed to be part of the team from the get-go. Maybe there is room for a Paolo Espino to stick around for a while. I, I don't know how many opportunities there are going to be for him, but if he can give you an inning or two in a game where you don't have to use your your top guys, that's going to help them in the long run. Because think about how often the last few years, when the team gets off to a bad start and they don't have bullpen depth, what ends up happening? Davey has to rely on Doolittle and Hudson and Swero, and he can burn these guys out and they end up getting hurt or being ineffective. So the less you can use them now and still win games, that's great for the long run. We always like to note the little things, as Davey likes to say on the Nats Chat Podcast. Some good, some bad. You know, you're always going to have that more or less. We'll start with the bad, then get to some of the good. So the Starling Castro thing where he gets thrown out at home and it like wasn't even close. He has a two-out, five-pitch walk in the Nats one-run second, a one-out ribby single in the Nats two-run third, and then a four-pitch walk that loads the bases in the Nats two-run fifth. But he gets thrown out easily at home on a failed squeeze with Joe Ross bunting for the second out. What do you think happened there? Why couldn't Castro just put on the brakes and head back to third? That seemed to me like an unnecessary out that got made. It was a bad read by him. And he even like took a step and then paused and then decided to keep going. And I don't know if he just didn't realize the fact that he wasn't required to run anywhere because it was first and third, or if Bob Henley was yelling at him to go, I'm not sure. Or he, or he just thought that the ball was, you know, bunted a little further away from the pitcher, but that was about as easy as a play as you're going to have. And, you know, I don't love bunting with first and third anyways, especially Joe, who can swing the bat a little bit. I guess you're worried about the inning ending double play. But if you are going to bunt, you know, you tell the runner on third, if it's a great bunt, go for it. But if you aren't 100 percent sure, you don't have to go anywhere. And there's nothing wrong with having second and third and two outs. And now Harrison up at bat. Harrison, a good contact guy. You could drive in two runs with a single. 
So that was a bad read. You know, it didn't cost them, obviously, but you could envision a scenario where it's a tighter game and those little things do matter. And so that was probably, to me, the the sloppiest moment of the game and, and, and an unnecessary out that just did not need to be made. Yeah, and it's and we, we've seen it, I feel like, way too much this year, the Nats making outs on the base paths. Now, conversely, there were some standout defensive moments from the Nats on Saturday, including, I think, one of the best defensive plays we've seen so far this season from a Nationals player, that Trey Turner play, a leadoff first pitch ground out by Marcus Stroman in the bottom of the third. Turner ranges to his left on the outfield grass to field a grounder up the middle, slides and spins on his knees, and then makes a one-hop throw to Josh Bell at first base. Nice job by Josh to make the pick. But what a play by Trey Turner. You know, I know he did not have a good defensive season last year. He really does profile, though, as someone who should be a very good defensive shortstop with the speed and the athleticism and the length that he possesses. And that was some play that he made there. He's quietly looked really good out there, I think, so far this year. There haven't been a ton of those like highlight reel plays. This was certainly one of them. But he's making all the plays he's supposed to. That's what they need from him. He he admits that last year was not that good for him. You know, if you're going to be the shortstop of any team, you've got to be the stalwart, the most consistent defensive player. And if you have Starlin Castro to your right, who has played some third base, but is not a natural third baseman, and Josh Harrison to your left, who again has played plenty of second base, but his versatility is is his calling card. It's not necessarily that he's an elite defender. Then you better be really good at shortstop. Just like they need Robles to be great in center field, given who's around him, they really need Turner to be good up the middle. And so far, I, I don't see how you can't be impressed with what he's done in the field. Yeah, that was some kind of play. Now, there also was a play on which our pal Kyle Schwarber, a.k.a. Alex Gordon in left field, made a, <laughs> made a sliding catch. And I heard about it from one of our uh, loyal listeners, the Rally Mullet Nats fan on Twitter saying, how'd you like that sliding catch from Schwarber, Goldie? <laughs> and my response was simply this, great hustle, and it may well have been a very good catch, but uh, th- there's an important thing to understand about sliding, diving catches. Not every sliding, diving catch is a great catch, and this is one of the great <laughs> things about StatCast. It really illuminates this. StatCast tracks many things. One of them, though, is route efficiency. I have not seen what the route efficiency was on that play. If it was good, then all praise to Kyle Schwarber for making that catch. But what we do know is outfielders who take circuitous routes to balls, outfielders who are slow to balls, and they then make a diving catch. That's not a great play. That's you had to dive to make up for your lack of speed or your lack of a proper route. So I'd like to hold off on sending that footage to Cooperstown for just now. (laughs) But if it was, in fact, a high route efficiency play, then I will praise Kyle Schwarber. But I got a kick out of that and making a catch like that. He got the job done. That's all you can ask from him in this situation. <laughs> but I, I, but I like the point you bring up. I'm going to tell a little bit of an older story here. Go back in time a little bit, and that is a fan favorite, Roger Bernardino, who had a habit out of making spectacular diving catches in the outfield. Really athletic player, one of the most athletic they've ever had. And I remember saying to somebody with the team at one point, "Boy, Bernardino's so good out there!" And you know, every time he makes one of these catches. And the person said back to me, like, nah, you know what? Watch him closely. He gets a bad jump off the bat and he makes up for it with his athleticism and he turns those plays into spectacular looking plays. Now watch Denard Spann, who was also on the team. Watch him. He never makes a diving catch. He never makes the highlight reel catch. You know why? Because his reaction was so good and his route to the ball was so good that he never needed to dive for them. And ever since then, I've, I've had that in mind and watched, tried to watch that more. You can see what a difference it makes. Yes, there's some great athletes out there who can make some spectacular catches that make all the highlight reels, but the really impressive ones are the ones who can read the ball off the bat and know exactly where to go and get there quickly and make it look easy. 
And Denard Span is one of the best I've ever seen it, that there is a difference despite what we may see with our eyes. 100%. And it's one of the real values of StatCast. Just because a guy falls down when he catches a ball doesn't make it a great catch. It's about your efficiency on the play. And maybe Schwarber had it. I'm not saying that he didn't, but we shouldn't just assume anytime a guy flops on his stomach that he, that he made some outstanding catch. By the way, is Roger Bernardino the most jacked Nationals player <laughs> of all time? I remember him. He was like a bodybuilder, man. He, he looked like he had muscles in places most people don't even have places. He would show up for the first day of spring training every year, and it was a show to, to walk in there and the way everyone would gawk at him to see what he had done in the offseason. And a guy who was not afraid to walk around without a shirt on <laughs> at all. And hey, if you've got it, flaunt it. And there were some jealous teammates in that clubhouse when they would see Roger Bernatina. He also had a habit of you know wearing some pretty tight Under Armour shirts, I guess, when they're doing warm-ups and things like that. He, he knew he had it, and um, he wasn't afraid to flaunt it. If you got it, hey, oh, absolutely go for it. Why the heck not? One other little things nugget from the Nationals win at the Mets on Saturday. I know you have said, you know, boy, it feels like every time the Nats are in the shift, it doesn't work or it often doesn't work. Here was an example of the shift working to perfection on Saturday. And of course, it got zero credit on the telecast. But bottom of the sixth, first pitch grounder off the bat of Michael Conforto goes right to Starling Castro, the third baseman, who's in a shift on the first base side of second base for a 5-3 double play for the first two outs. Like the ball was literally hit right to Starlin as he was playing basically second base as a third baseman, although he wasn't in that like traditional second base spot. Like the shift worked to perfection in a moment like that. It doesn't get credit. And, and I just wish like if people want to bash the shift when it doesn't work, and I'm not saying, because I know you understand the purpose of the shift, but I, I feel like some people maybe don't. Acknowledge when it works because like if, if all you ever do is highlight when it doesn't work, well then yeah, okay, fine. But the many times that it does work, I feel like never get highlighted. And that was like a classic case of the shift working to perfection. That was beautiful. 5-3 double play initiated by Castro. That's exactly how it's supposed to be. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And this is where I do like it with Castro because he's played his whole career in the middle infield. And so it's not putting him out of position to have him over there. He's very comfortable, whether it's turning double plays, whether it's, I think there have been a couple of caught stealings where he was the one to cover second base on it. So I do like it in those cases. And I completely support the idea of doing the shift. I just think it's odd that for some reason, the Nationals have been hurt by it more. The, the stats back this up. They've been hurt by it. They've given up more hits than they've stopped when they've played it. And I don't know if that's because they're just not shifted in the right position or just bad luck or what. I don't know the answer to that. But when it does work, obviously, it makes sense. There is logic and there's reason behind it. And I do like it with Castro because of his experience as a middle infielder. Where I don't love it is when teams will sometimes have a third baseman now playing shortstop and everybody else shifted around. Or, you know, even at times a third baseman playing shallow, you know, right field sort of. And if that's not his comfort zone, then I don't know that it's worth the benefit of it. But the Nats are in a good position because Harrison, Turner, and Castro have all played all around the infield. You know, Trey Turner was a second baseman for a while. He's done it. Uh, Harrison's played everywhere. Castro's played everywhere. So that I think helps, you know, that where they're going to be comfortable no matter where in the field they're lined up. Yeah. It's, it's not unlike what we have in the NFL now where we're getting more and more positionless football and you have safeties playing corner, you have corners playing safeties, you have linebackers playing 
nickel corner. Like it's almost like you, you know, you're mixing and matching like never before. And you can do that in your infield. And like you said, the Nationals can do that, especially. They've got, as you know, Ron Rivera likes to say, position flex. They've got that with Castro and with Turner and with Harrison. So I like that they're taking advantage of that. Like it's so smart, right? Starling Castro, Davia said it, his best spot is second base. So yeah, he's technically the third baseman, but that doesn't mean they can't put him in second base like positions from time to time in these shift spots. So I think that's smart that the Nats do that. And obviously it worked out in that instance on Saturday. So Nationals go for a series victory on Sunday. Joe Ross on Saturday made it three good starts out of four outings. Patrick Corbin trying to avoid three bad starts out of four outings. The good news is his last start was a really good start. Corbin was really bad first two starts of this season, but was really good in that 3-2 win over the Cardinals at Nationals Park this past Tuesday night. Six scoreless innings on five strikeouts. Clearly, that is the Patrick Corbin we want to see on Sunday. What are the keys to Corbin duplicating that, or at least coming close to duplicating that on Sundays? And that's go for the series win. So like we always say, fastball command early on. And then the slider bearing it down at the feet of the right-handed hitter. He did that in his last start. He has had success against the Mets. And I know this isn't the same Mets lineup that they've always had, but you know some of the guys are the same. And I think it should be a comfortable setting for him. And if they can pull this one off on Sunday, that would be since the one and six start when you know they're missing half the team. They'd be eight and five since then without Juan Soto, without Steven Strasburg, without a couple of relievers. Like, let's acknowledge here what they're doing. Even if they lose, you know, obviously you want to win the series, but even if they lose, if they play well, Corbin pitches well, they're not nearly in as bad a shape as we might have thought they would have been under the circumstances. There's still plenty of room for growth. There are things they have to figure out. Obviously, Bell and Schwarber have to start hitting and some other things have to get better, but they're not just treading water. They're actually thriving at times. And I think they deserve some credit for that. And, you know, we'll see Sunday's game is a rubber game and it, it could change the tone of that. But, you know, all of a sudden, if they've won eight of 13 and they've won three of their last four series and, and split the other one, that's a pretty good position to be in when they're dealing with everything they've had to deal with. There's no doubt. I mean, since the three game sweep at the Dodgers, the Nats have not lost a series, right? One, two or three at the Cardinals, split the four games with the Diamondbacks, one, two or three over the Cardinals at home. And now we're trying to win two or three at the Mets. So I, I'm totally with you on that. All things considered, I mean, you come out of this nine and 10, like you'll take that. It's really about treading water, keeping your head above water until Strasburg and Soto are back, you know, especially Soto. Like Strasburg, I guess we're not really sure when that's going to happen. You're still waiting on Lester, who it feels like isn't going to debut until 2034, but, uh, you know, he'll be back at some point. But like, yeah, if you can just kind of not totally fall apart while you're missing all these key guys and, you know, you're still kind of in a in a difficult portion of your early season schedule. I mean, it's, it's you know, it kind of lightened a little bit when you face the Diamondbacks. But, you know, this most recent series against the Cardinals, the series at the Mets, these, these are not easy games the Nats are playing. You know, finally, the next two series after this at Toronto for two games in Florida and then three home games against Miami. You know, then maybe you can lighten up a little bit. But it's not been an easy run for the Nationals. So all things considered, doing a good job. And it would be lovely to see Patrick Corbin go out there and do well again on Sunday. So we can, I don't know, put to bed the idea of Corbin and what is he, but at, at least, you know, the first two starts, which were really frighteningly bad, those can start to become maybe a distant memory. Yeah, you would hope so that he has that in him. And I know a lot of people were writing off the whole contract after those two starts. And let's give him a little bit of time to figure it out. We know that the margin for error is, is slimmer than with others and that he's got to be effective at what he does well to have a chance, but he didn't get that contract for no reason. They knew the kind of pitcher he can be, and we've seen when he's on, can be really good. What he has to do, and it really applies to a lot of them on the team, because this is the way the season has gone so far, they've just got to avoid the big blowups. 
You know, if you're going to lose a game, that's fine. You're going to lose ball games, but, you know, lose them five to four, you know, don't give up 10 runs in four innings. I think that's maybe why the perception of this team right now is a little more doom and gloom because the losses have been ugly, but they've had more good games and bad games so far. And if they're going to start making some of those, you know, bad games look a little less bad, I think it might uh, leave everyone in a better mood. Yeah, I mean, the Nats are 8-10. and 10. The run differential is minus 20 because of those blowout losses, you know, so that, that skews things. There's no question about that. So hopefully Nats get a win. Maybe they hit a home run. Who the heck knows? You are still allowed to do that. Uh, anyway, keep the feedback coming. You can tweet us at Nats underscore chat. You can email us to NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to become a sponsor of the Nats Chat Podcast, let us know via email. Contact the mastermind of this operation, Tim Showbers. Again, the email address, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Swinging a ground ball right side through for a base hit. Between McNeil and Alonzo and a two-out RBI single score, Stevenson. And the Nationals have scored in every inning. They lead 5-0. Yadiel Hernandez has had a fine game. He's two for two with a pair of RBIs. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.